Did you have to go overnight to North Carolina, or was it just an early morning drive? And no, turn? it was. We left yesterday, came back this morning. So, wow! And then the whole night, I'm dreaming about what we had to do this morning. So it was like no sleep. <laughs> just, yeah, yeah. Like, what are you gonna say? It's eventful. They keep us moving. Yeah, you know, when I was a kid, I wouldn't say I was athletic, but I, I played little league baseball. I played. Um, I just spilled coffee. I thought this was a spill-proof cup. I think we got paper towels. Oh, it's okay. I think I'm okay. I needed that to make it through today. This goes to show you what supporting your children would do with zero sleep. Mm. <laughs> it's like, God, kid. If I have to tap you on the shoulder and wake you up in the middle of the podcast, I'd be happy to do, do so. Do that. Do that, please. But we're going to make it work. Welcome to episode 24 of Black, White, and Blue in the South, a podcast discussing democratic politics with a Southern flair. I'm Bill Kimmler. I'm Jameel Brooks. Oh, I'm sorry. Why did you look? I'm sorry. I'm so used to having guests. I was waiting for the third (laughs) voice to drop. Didn't realize it was just you and I today. Don't do that. I'm not familiar. I have to remember how to do this. (laughs) If you like what you hear... Put that checkbook down. We're not asking for any money to keep this show going. But the least you can do is leave a rating, tell your friends about us, follow us on social media, or better yet, I haven't thought of anything this week. No way. I thought you had a good one. I'm hoping that you could step up to the occasion. Oh, no, no. Oh, no, no. Let me stick to what I know. (laughs) Or better yet, send your submission for what I should be better yetting. No, in fact, I'll be honest with you. I completely forgot to fill that part in. I have a dash there. Really? It's highlighted on the screen. But nothing? And I completely neglected to go back and put in something witty. Or better yet, you throw could, some wit my way. You could use the Nikki Haley with none of the above. Oh, we're going to be talking about Nikki. But I, I used her <laughs> last week with her Saturday Night Live appearance. Oh, God. Which was okay. just god-awful. Yeah. Well, anyhow, you can always drop us a note at blackwhiteblueinthesouth at gmail.com. Send us your comments, questions, topic ideas. You can also follow us on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and even threads. If you're not watching our video clips, you are missing out on our beautiful faces, which only enrich the content (laughs) you're listening to right now. I actually have an interesting story to tell you about TikTok. Uh-oh. Well, interesting to me anyway. Okay. We, I, post a new video clip on TikTok yes. every day. Okay. Do the same for YouTube. Do the same across all of our platforms. We're going to focus on TikTok. Okay. We have not repeated a video since I started doing this back in September. No way. How about that? Oh, my God. And slowly, we've been building up a following. Okay. And finally, on December 14th, one of our videos cracked over a thousand views. Shut up. I kid you not. It was from uh, a clip from our live recording in Oconee County. And okay. we were talking about that town in Florida where the local politicians wanted to ban yeah. rainbow stickers on the shops. Yeah. Anyhow, that cracked a thousand. And I'm doing the Jeffersons thing, moving <laughs> on up. You know, just I'm thinking we're about to skyrocket into Joe Rogan territory, you know, to the top. But then we got stuck. Oh. The next video had 700 views. Then the two videos after that, 300, 200. And then after that, four days after our 1,000 video mark, yeah. we were down to 20 views. <gasps> and we've been stuck between 10 to 20 views per video every day since mid-December. Wow. Now, we've got some good videos uh, I wonder up what there. it is. Well... I think I figured it out. Okay. So yesterday morning, I did something a little different. I took a video with our discussion about um, PragerU, that clip with Christopher Columbus and, and our guest, Matt Villardebo. Yeah. And I used, instead of my laptop, which is where I do all my video uploading, I used my phone. I'm, I copied the video clip to my phone and I uploaded it using the TikTok app mm-hmm. as opposed to my desktop and the TikTok website. We cracked over 2,000 views yesterday alone. Shut up. Doubled our previous record. Over 100 comments, over a couple hundred likes. I mean, this thing just took off. 
So I don't know what it is with the TikTok algorithm, hmm. but somehow doing it from the phone app as opposed to my laptop resulted in a lot of views. Wow. Which is very odd. Now, I've, I manage a couple of other TikTok accounts. I do one for our county Democratic Party. I have yeah. one for my campaign. Never had this issue before. All of them regularly get, you know, a couple hundred, maybe a thousand views per clip. But this podcast, we were being suppressed down to like a dozen views. Wow. It was so depressing. But I think if I crack the code with doing it by the phone. Anyhow, if there's any TikTokers out there who kind of know what I'm talking about, yeah. drop us a note. I want to know more. Do I need to be using my phone from now on? Clearly mm-hmm. you do. Well, even if TikTok isn't your thing, you can find all of our videos on your favorite platform. And how can you find us easily, Jamil? Huh? <laughs> Now, you know I'm operating off of zero sleep. Well, the way they can find us easily is we have a Linktree page. Yeah, that thing. That connects you to everything. So look at those show notes where we have that and links to all material in today's episode. Yes. Hi, Jamil. Hey, Bill. You poor thing. I know. You are operating on very little sleep, and then you dumped half your coffee on the table before we recorded. We got it, though. We got it. All right. I'm here for you. Thank you. I'm here for you. I wanted to start off by talking about the fact that Republican candidate Don Quixote, I mean, Nikki Haley, stopped by Greenwood this weekend as part of her statewide bus tour and rally. You know what I mean by Don Quixote? No. Oh, he was a figure from literature that was always going after hopeless causes. If you've heard the phrase tilting a, at windmills, he would chase windmills with a spear. And that's a good comparison. A lance and a, and, a, and, a, and a pony. But yes, it is a hopeless cause. Anyhow, she is running across the state and she stopped here in Greenwood just yesterday. And we had a little debate on Facebook, by the way, hmm. about whether we should attend and protest. Yeah. And what do you think the consensus was? Well, first, what is your opinion on that? Do you think people should stop and protest Nikki Haley if you're on the Democratic side? No. Why is that? I think your energy could be best used somewhere else. I I agree. Yeah. So I I just wouldn't put it there. I think if you are Democrats and you know that Nikki Haley is not the one for you, then you use that, use your voice in the streets, encouraging other Democrats to go out and do what they're supposed to do, as well as independents and Republicans who clearly know she is not their choice. Yeah, and I agree. And that pretty much was the consensus. You know, people want to be active and have their voices heard or maybe make it uncomfortable for a disliked candidate to be around. Yeah. But was it going to change a single mind or was it just there to, to, you know, make you feel good? It would have been one of those things we talk about a distraction. I did that once, by the way. (laughs) I was a distraction. Now, going back to episode one or two, I talked about my introduction into the world of politics, and it came (laughs) my senior year of college, and then-candidate Bill Clinton did a surprise rally in September of that election year. So this was only two months before the election. Came on campus, had a surprise rally. It was, you know, I was 18, had just turned 18. It's going to be my first presidential election ever. Yeah. And at the time... I didn't know Clinton from Bush, and Bush, that was Bush Sr., by the way. Okay. But my roommates and I wanted to stir up some trouble. Oh, my gosh. Because that's what we did. So we quickly created a large banner that said, Ross for Boss. Oh, my God. Now, I don't know if you remembered. Ross uh, Perot. Ross Perot. Let me, let me give the listeners a little review of what Ross Perot was. I believe that there is so much waste around here. And again, every time you get into see, I'm the only guy that talks numbers. Mm-hmm. I love this. Nobody else will even talk about it. It's like, I've said it's like a crazy ant in the basement. Everybody knows she's there, but nobody talks about her. I'm talking about it. Then I can talk, you know, with endless numbers about it. And then when I finish, typically the establishment press said, he didn't tell us enough. I just break up. Nobody else said anything. <laughs> and I haven't said enough. That is Ross Perot. <laughs> Anyhow, he was a third-party independent candidate. So me and my roommates created this huge banner, said Ross for boss. Took two to three of us to carry it oh my once it was all unrolled. So as soon as candidate Clinton got on mic, the three of us unfurled that banner and started walking around oh the outdoors where he was. And next thing you know... All the press converged upon us. I got interviewed by national outlets, <laughs> local newspapers. Why do you support Ross Perot? I was like, humming, humming, humming. It's like, I didn't really support him, but I gave some BS answer. But okay. again, just there to stir things up. 
but take, coming back to the Nikki Haley thing, you know, what's the point besides she has enough people on the Trump side stirring things up at her rallies? Yeah. What were the Democrats going to do? So no, you're right. I stayed home and did some more productive things and yeah. did not participate. I will share this, which was very somewhat disheartening. There's a, a lady that I'm friends with on Facebook, and she had a very lovely post about what a great day she had yesterday. She okay. went to a wedding mm-hmm. of a same-sex couple, two young men, beautiful wedding by all accounts, and it was literally a hundred yards away from Nikki Haley's rally. Shut up. Then she went to Nikki Haley's rally with her two young girls, and the young girls had Nikki Haley signs posed with a picture of Nikki Haley and girl power. Right. And actually, she even said, vote Nikki. And so I'm, I'm trying to cons- reconcile these two things because Nikki Haley is the same governor that had to be sued by two women who wanted to get married after the Supreme Court declared it legal back in Correct. 2008. She had to be sued to allow South Carolina to recognize their marriage, yeah. let them get married. In fact, I know one of them. Uh, she, she's an amazing person. But the fact that Nikki Haley is so anti-gay marriage And yet the same person probably didn't even know that. And so I just see this, I don't know, I see this contrast and I'm just wondering how do people just not know? How can they do one thing and then go support another a few minutes later? Well, do you think that they're focused on her being for her girls? Am I to assume this was a white woman? Yes. Okay. So maybe it's that she wants to show her daughters that, hey, this one day could be you too, because, you know, representation matters to see a female running for president of these United States is major. So maybe that was the approach. And I understand wanting to see that, but knowing the back history is amazing because not intentionally, but this mom just sent two different messages. I'm guessing mom did not know. That's going to be the benefit of the doubt that yeah, I'm going to give mom. Yeah, I don't mom. think she knew. Because you don't praise what a wonderful wedding this was and what a great couple they are and then go support and somebody. And they, they are a nice looking couple. I saw the pictures. Okay. Yeah. And then go support somebody who is diametrically opposed to their right to get married. Yeah. So I don't get it. Mm. Hey, before we forget, we had another review of our show come in recently. Okay, we did. Yes. You want to hear it? Yes, I do. This came from Cool World Zero Three. Okay. I actually think I know who this person is, but let's hear what this review had to say. Okay. If you want a podcast that satisfies your entertainment and intellectual needs, Black, White, and Blue in the South is an absolute gem. Be prepared to be entertained, enlightened, and thoroughly captivated by this podcasts as they give you the facts about candidates and issues. Wasn't that nice? They're so kind. Obviously, that was not Cool World's real voice. We of used, course not. We dipped our toes into the pool of AI voices again. Uh, but I say that out loud because there have been some dirty tricks with AI voices. Ooh. Did you hear what happened in New Hampshire last month? No, I automatically went to the text that came out. You go to that, though. Yeah, this was a, a, a voicemail, a phone call that went out mm. throughout New Hampshire right before their primary. It was Joe Biden's voice, mm. or so it sounded, mm-hmm. telling them not to vote. Yes. It, okay. You know the value of voting Democratic when our votes count. It's important that you save your vote for the November election. We'll need your help in electing Democrats up and down the ticket. Voting this Tuesday only enables the Republicans in their quest to elect Donald Trump again. Your vote makes a difference in November, not this Tuesday. If you would like to be removed from future calls, please press 2. Basically, it was complete voter suppression mm-hmm. and it, illegal, too, mm-hmm. by the way. And they traced it down to this gentleman in Texas. They found out who did it, and they're, they're pursuing him with the force of the law. But these AI voices, boy, it's getting better and better. You know, I I tell my students all the time, your sense of humor can be detrimental. So don't think that everything you do is funny. So if this guy did it as a joke, he's now about to have to pay a heavy cost. Oh, I thought you were talking to me there for a second. I'm like, yeah, I thought I was funny, but oh boy, maybe I'm getting a scolding. No, (laughs) people do things for laughs that shouldn't be it. So I don't know what his his intent was. Yeah, I don't know, but he's going to pay that price. Yeah, he's going to pay. Anyhow, if you want your voice to be completely obliterated by AI, <laughs> please leave us a review as well. Fired up! Ready to go! Fired up! Ready to go! Fired up! There is so much to talk about on the campaign trail as both Dr. Jamil Brooks and myself pursue candidacies <laughs> for South Carolina State House. Yeah. We whooped. 
Oh, we might as well talk about what we were just doing an hour ago, <laughs> right before this podcast. Do you want to kick us off with that? So we had an opportunity to go and speak at a local church, which is amazing. So shout out to the leadership of this organization, because so many times you have local pastors or leaders that will shy away from having individuals come in. But I, I believe this young man understood his role to educate. And uh, so it was a great opportunity. We were able to go in and just encourage the voters. So Shout out to my Mariah Baptist Church here in Greenwood. It was awesome for us to have that opportunity to come and just share the words of what we feel is the reason to vote. And it was good because even though we're running as candidates, our focus, and this is so important, I think this is what sets us apart from most people. So let me just tap both of us on our back. We could have did a whole campaign spiel, but we went to talk to a group of people and we put ourselves last. It wasn't about telling what Jamil's plans were or what Bill's plans were. It was solely about telling them these are the things that are at stake. And if you didn't think your vote didn't matter, why is it that everyone is trying to kill it at every attempt that they get? So this was an opportunity for us just to speak to individuals and get them excited again about the power of their vote. And I thought it went well. Yeah, you brought up uh, gerrymandering in Alabama. My gosh. I was talking about taking the right to vote and making it more than just a right, but making it a moral obligation to do so. I remember when you spoke in McCormick and you had your speech about the seeds and planting seeds and how the speakers talked about planting the seeds afterwards and how that must have made you feel. I got that same thing today (laughs) because I talked about the 11th commandment. Thou shalt not sit on the couch on election day. Make it a commandment to go vote. And then the pastor he did. referenced that back. And he I was folded like, oh, it in. Ooh, that loved, was cool. I loved it. I got a little tingle there. That was there. cool. I was like, oh my God, great job. <laughs> now, I, I am going to have to observe that the service at Mount Moriah Baptist was a little bit like Lord of the Rings. What do you say? How do I say that? Yeah. Well, in Lord of the Rings, you come to the, the climax and the end, you know, where Frodo drops the ring into Mount Doom and the ring is destroyed and the bad guys are destroyed and the good guys have one, and then you have another hour and a half of movies still to go. <laughs> That's exactly what this service was like when the preacher was saying, and I'm going to wrap up by saying, 30 minutes later, we're still there with, yeah. the, with the preacher preaching and the prayer, yeah. and the holy God, let us conclude by, and you know you have another 10, 15 minutes of it's prayer like still to go. It's kind of like that little SpongeBob um, meme that goes around four hours later. 24 hours later. <laughs> but I look, you know, and I thought, because you're right, like timing will play a factor, but it wasn't like, sometimes you'll go and then it's like, oh my God, where's the end? But there was such a good flow of excitement that kept it popping up and down, so you didn't have a moment to drift. And then I checked the watch and I was like, wow, that wasn't bad. I went 30 minutes and they even had time for us. That's right. So we're very appreciative of Mount Moriah Baptist yeah. and very grateful for that opportunity and getting to speak to people who may not have known us prior yeah. and inspiring any way we can. It was a very enjoyable. Yeah. Next, you went to Piedmont Tech recently and participated in the uh, some sort of business association. What oh, was the that? Chamber of Commerce annual meeting. Yes. Yeah. What so was that like that was really interesting. What was so funny is that I um, I get to this table because you don't know where you're sitting. They've assigned you, and they assigned me to sit at the table with Piedmont Tech. So I thought, oh, cool. Like I'm almost revisiting family. Knew I would see someone that I knew, and I eventually did run into a couple of people I knew. In the but the highlight was. Someone leaned over to me, came up to the table, leaned over to me and said, hey, your opponent is sitting right behind you. And I went, what? And I turned around and I like, oh, yeah, he does like the picture. That really really is him. So (laughs) we were really close. I didn't get up to go introduce myself to him. I don't think we need to do that right now. And it wasn't just him. It was the table of all of our opponents in the area. They all congregated together on the table. Yeah, you just can't focus on them too long because it'll sour the mood. But yeah, they were there. (laughs) So saw them and then they had an awesome night. They recognized Peter Manning received the annual award for the Greenwood Chamber of Commerce. Did you get a chance to speak with him? I did not because he was flocked with everyone. But what is so amazing is that when they told his story, there were literally people weeping from just in the audience. I I, I just spanned around the room and I could see people like tapping their eyes because he is truly that passionate about what he's done. So it was just an opportunity. And I said, oh, gosh, that's somebody you definitely want to meet. 
Well, congratulations, Peter. We hope to yeah. meet with you sometime. Oh, and then let me tell you, I also ended up in McCormick at their annual meeting. So this was the Chamber of Commerce for Chamber McCormick. Chamber of Commerce for McCormick. Okay. Well done. Loved it. So that's another opportunity just to go in and see what the businesses are doing. They've exceeded their goal of membership long before it was due. I think they had a goal of set members to reach by 2025, and they've already exceeded that. So McCormick is growing, and that's a great thing. Good and job, their membership McCormick. Is. And then lastly, you had a chance to speak to some people at Lander University recently, some oh, cool. students. Yeah. Yes, so I ended up at Lander and had an opportunity to speak with the Call Me Mr. program. Wonderful opportunity to speak with individuals that were considering education as their major, just giving them background information. It was so, so neat because as I went on to tell them things that they should consider as an educator, they kept stopping and saying, oh my God, we've got to show you something. We've got to show you something. And at the end, they told me to turn around, and it's their motto or their pledge that they say at the end of every meeting. And things that I had said, never seen that pledge before, was what was in their pledge. And I went, that's confirmation that these are the things that you cannot live without if you enter education. How cool is it for young people to meet a candidate? How often do they get to do that? That was cool. That was cool. Did they, and did they know that you were running? At the end. At oh. the end. You know, I tend to have this thing where I just do a whole lot of talking and then I say, oh, by the way. <laughs> so it was one of those things. And Oliver was like, and she's running for state house. I was like, yeah, that part. <laughs> yeah, well, I was worse. Yeah, today at Mount Mariah, when we quickly stood up and introduced ourselves. Yeah. Uh, I forgot to mention my name. You did. You did. <laughs> and I'm so used to you saying your name. I heard it. And they were like, no, he didn't say it. And I went, y'all didn't hear him? I just, you know, it's got to be a guessing game. I got yeah. to figure out who I am figure later from am. context clues. <laughs> well, I'm going to put in a plug. On Friday of this week that this episode is releasing, yeah. you and I are having a meet and greet at South Bend Winery yeah. here in Greenwood. Starting at 5 o'clock, uh, show up on time yeah. and have some fellowship and uh, grab some great wine from these fine suppliers yeah. and get a chance to hear Jamil and I speak and get a chance to interact with us. You're not going to be tortured with any long speeches. We promise you that. These aren't political stump speeches. It's truly just an introduction, and we intend to be sitting out and about talking with people, chatting, and hearing what you have to say. Yeah. And now, let's turn our attention to the news. Nope, that wasn't it. Let's turn our attention to (laughs) the news. Nope, that ain't it. Out of practice. Let's turn our attention to the news. Nope, that ain't it. All right, there's only one more button. Now let's turn our attention to the news. For up to the minute reports, stay tuned to this station. Now the news. All right, so let's go with uh, an article pull from The Slate. And it is John Roberts and Brett Kavanaugh really did just save the Voting Rights Act. Now, I know this is blowing your mind, but they really did save the Voting Rights Act. And so what this article references is that several months ago, the DA um, in Alabama filed a suit. They redrew the district maps and in the redrawing. And you're of talking maps, about the maps for U.S. Congress. Correct. Okay. U.S. Congress maps for the state of Alabama. When they redrew the maps, it diluted the black vote. So that means where there were clusters of individuals that could have potentially altered a vote, they diluted that vote so it didn't have the same impact. This ended up at the Supreme Court. The end result was the Supreme Court decided to not support it. And they decided not to support it because it would set a precedent. And this is and I know this is going to sound real strange for me to even support Judge Kavanaugh. Yeah. It's, it's just amazing that I'm going to say I support it. But, and I think he took this stand for a different reason. But what he did was said the Supreme Court has already stated what will be on this case. And what we're not going to do is continue to chip away at these voting rights. Now, contrary to what most people might believe, since he's voting this way to say, let's not dilute the Voting Rights Act. He has a plethora of works where he's written documents to contest the expansion of the Voter Rights Act. But in this particular stance, he said, no, we've already established this. We're not going to change it. What Alabama is doing is pushing too far, too hard and too fast. And we're not going to stand for it. That's really interesting that you brought that up because from those articles, I took a completely different fact about the Voting Rights Act. What did you get? And you talked about how the Supreme Court saved the Voting Rights Act. Yeah. Almost a couple weeks later, they destroyed the Voting Rights Act. Yeah. 
So there's another case that came out. Well, let's bring this local. Let's talk okay. about South Carolina. Okay. We have a case before the Supreme Court about our congressional districts. We do. Congressional District 6 with Jim Clyburn and 1 with Nancy Mace got redrawn to the tune of tens of thousands of black voters in North Charleston area were moved out of Nancy Mace's district and into Jim Clyburn's district, essentially diluting the vote of the black voter. Whereas District 1 used to be purple and has been Democrat in the the past, Mm -hmm. once you take out 40,000 black voters, that may completely change. Yeah. Do you know who brought the suit to challenge that? Who brought it? The NAACP mm. on behalf of the black voters. Okay. Wonderful. Thank that makes, you, that NAACP. Makes, that makes sense. But here's the other lawsuit that the Supreme Court chose not to move forward with. What's that? And this is actually quite devastating. There was a lower circuit court ruling that third-party organizations like the NAACP were not allowed to bring suits regarding the Voting Rights Act. I remember that. Mm -hmm. That they were not allowed to. That only attorneys general Mm -hmm. representing the states can bring suits about the Voting Rights Act. Mm -hmm. That is a horrendous decision and such crap. Yeah. You've got precedent with Citizens United where entities and corporations are allowed to funnel billions of dollars into elections and campaigns without any accountability. But should an organization want to challenge a Voting Rights Act on behalf of the voters, now it is disallowed. Yeah. So I don't even know how that's going to impact the South Carolina litigation that's in front of the Supreme Court that they've already heard arguments on, mm-hmm. just haven't rendered a decision yet. Yeah, I have no idea where this goes. But if organizations like the NAACP can't fight on behalf of the citizens, Who and can? we have to rely upon our Republican Attorney it's General to fight for voting rights, forget but that's, about that's it. That's another, and that's something that organizations should challenge because that's another way to oppress voting. That's voter suppression at its most well-defined. Just keep your eye on Judge Kavanaugh. I I think his actual reasoning for not supporting this is like the author of this article said, it was just too hard, too fast. And it was almost like Alabama was saying to the Supreme Court, you don't get to tell us what to do. We're going to do it our way. And that is when the Supreme Court took offense to it to say, no, we don't think we're going to support that. And so, and that's what they did. In Alabama, one-third of the state's population is black. Yeah. But there's only one out of seven of their congressional districts that has a black majority in it. So you're talking one out of seven congressional representatives with only, you know, when there's one in three voters who are black, and that is not representation. And I think with that Supreme Court ruling, Alabama has conceded and has redrawn their maps. Yeah, they did. And uh, that could certainly be a flip on behalf of those constituents. What was interesting is that they even mentioned that the DA wanted to suggest that we use a computer system to redraw the maps that did not consider race. That's the Alabama DA. That's interesting because in South Carolina, when the NAACP lawyers were arguing in front of the Supreme Court, Mm -hmm. the Supreme Court says, "Okay, you are making a claim that the moving of 40,000 black voters or whatever it was, was racially motivated. Show us an alternate map where the Republican majority could get their way in gerrymandering out Democrats. That's not racially effective. Wow. Racially. So basically, the justices, at least these these certain justices, were telling the NAACP, it's now your job to redraw mm-hmm. maps, and that alone is some crap. Because mm. it's not their job. That's some crap. That's not their job. Last thing on this article that I'll say is, I'm going to quote this again, Alabama pushed too far, too fast, and they were too transparent with this obvious disrespect for what has already been established. Oh, so you're saying that if they wanted to do it next time, they need to be more sneaky about that's, it? That's where I'm going next. Because this reminds me of a line from the documentary, The Social Dilemma. And one of the individuals on Hold this... On. I don't know that documentary. Tell me about that. The Social Dilemma? Yeah, I haven't heard of it. Oh my gosh. So it is the leaders are former leaders of all your social media platforms. It's a Netflix documentary. They resigned or quit from their positions. They had the director of monetization from Facebook. You had the individual who developed the live button. They have a documentary where they have all resigned from their positions and they went on to tell how social media turned into a monster 
that it's like you got the genie out of the bottle and you can't put him oh, back in. That is so interesting, and I just don't have time to watch more interesting stuff. You I should. Am, but this is just compelling sounding. Because one of them made a quote that this article reminded of. He said, it's the subtle change of the way you think and the way you act that is the most priceless thing. You don't even see it coming. That's deep. Another one from the slate. <laughs> Congress has a real chance to fix one of the most commonly abused snares in the criminal justice system. Okay, before you go further. Got it. I'm going to tell you what my impression was after reading this. Sometimes you have a view of our country that's ideal. We are the greatest country in the world, full of rights and freedoms. Okay. Yes, we have to fight and defend. But then you come across some facts mm. that make you scratch your head yeah, and yeah. think, where the hell am I living? Uh-huh. It happened to me about a... Oh, 10 episodes ago. Remember when we talked about child marriage? Yeah. And how prevalent it was in, in our country? Yeah. And it was a wake-up call. It was a slap in the face of like, what the hell is going on here? Yeah. This article was a second slap in the face that I couldn't believe that what we're about to hear is a common practice in our country. Consider me having been ignorant, but now I'm woke. I'll go ahead and throw that phrase out there. When you hear about this, you should be enraged that this common practice is happening. So, you know, what I find is that to me, I was not alarmed. This is something that I've heard for years. And then to see it, and then I'm going to tell you exactly where South Carolina lands in this based off of 2020 numbers. Yeah, you're right. They should be upset and enraged. So this article is talking about civil forfeitures. So this is if there are raids that are conducted on an individual's properties. They'll get a warrant for the raid and they'll go in and do exactly what the warrant says. But you can't do anything above that. And in this particular case, there was a maybe like a a lockbox business where you could store items and they had the sled or feds had been watching this particular business in California. So they went in and they got their warrant and in their warrant it said that they would not touch individual property. They would only touched the property owned by the business, nothing else. But in their warrant, when they got into the building, they opened individual key boxes and confiscated all of the materials out of those boxes. One individual had $57,000 in there that he had gotten from being paid back from an injury. When he went to get his money, you know, he was treated as if he was a criminal, couldn't get his money back and all of those funds. Well, let's start with his name. His name is Joseph Ruiz. Uh Uh-oh. So think about that for a second. Yeah. R-U-I-Z, Joseph Ruiz. Yeah. And then the Federal Bureau of Investigation came in yeah. and essentially stole his money. Took it. His money and everybody else's in there. Whatever they had, it became the property of the state. And so when you're looking at civil forfeitures, what happens is the burden of proof becomes on the individual. And so the individuals, Mr. Ruiz, would have to prove that his money was truly his money and he had no, he did not receive it in any ill ways whatsoever. And that would take an attorney. So basically you're guilty until proven innocent. You are. You are. That is some crap. And if you don't have the money to fight for your attorney, to fight for your belongings to come back, those funds get distributed between the police officer and the prosecutors. According to this article, more than 90% of federal civil forfeiture cases, the government need not prove anything Correct. by any standard. Correct. So that means, Unbelievable. that means your land that you've worked hard to acquire, your businesses, those things. And here's the catch. Even after your land has been confiscated, your monies, you can go to trial and still be deemed innocent. And that stuff is not returned back to you until you fight to get it back. So tell me about the Supreme Court and what they ruled on this case. Um, that oh, No, this wasn't the Supreme Court. This was the U.S. Court of Appeals for yes. the Ninth Circuit. So but they, what did they, they say? They ruled that they were, they were wrong. They needed to return the funds as needed because the warrant stated that they would not touch individual property. And each of the individuals who went on there did touch and confiscate individual properties. But if he hadn't gotten in front of this, he and everybody else would have lost their belonging. And most just don't even pursue it because they don't have the means or the know-how to get their stuff back and fight it. But the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit said that the FBI violated the Fourth Amendment. Indeed. Which was search and seizure, undue search and seizure, and also violated the Fifth Amendment, which guaranteed due process. So Joseph Ruiz was denied due process and had his stuff stolen. So there is a Congress has currently a House Resolution 1525 that actually was brought to Congress and never moved. 
Oh, of course not. It has not moved. And it's a co-sponsor bill. And oddly enough, Nancy Mace is on there. The House Resolution 1525 to require that we rework the civil forfeiture. Well, don't be giving Nancy Mace credit on our podcast. I didn't want to, but I'm she... To, I'm have to bleep that out. She bumped into it and it worked out right. for her. Well, um, if her name's on it, it's on it. So I'm going to use some terms here from a medical standpoint. Abuse and fraud. Fraud and abuse. If it is abuse, you're not intentionally doing anything. It is you've developed a habit that um, misuses, right? Fraud, there's intent, there's malice. You want it to deceive. And so this article said that the judge found that the federal government abused. I don't think that's abuse when you go in and you know your warrant said don't touch individual properties and you break those boxes. I think that's fraud. But they got to keep all of this information. And then you think about Mr. Ruiz, he went however long without having access to his own monies to live. So you put an unnecessary burden on a lay person because of your abuse or your fraudulent behavior as it relates to the laws that are here to protect us. One thing as I've been pursuing this political world that I've learned is that you've got two sets of laws. I mean, the law isn't the law. You've got federal laws. Yeah. You've got state laws. So everything we've been talking about was at the federal level. But I want to bring a point that even here in South Carolina for years, the idea of civil forfeiture has been a hot topic. It has. And the current South Carolina law allows police and prosecutors yeah. to keep 95% of forfeiture proceeds yeah. uh, with barely any reporting requirements, and the remaining 5% goes to the state general fund. Yeah. This is a source of profit. Yeah. And the Supreme Court of the state had a chance to review it, and they decided, no, nope, it's good as it is. Now, that, now, see, it's good for that, but you can tell us what everything else we're supposed to do. You see what I'm saying? Like, we won't take on issues that affect the mass population, but we'll handle these little onesie twosies and consider those as a win. You're right. There was a massive study done by the Greenville News a couple of yes, years back. Yes, I was about to quote that. that. Go was, ahead. Okay. Do the quote. So when you said 95% of the proceeds go to law enforcement, you're absolutely right. 75% of it go to the police, 20% to the prosecutors. This is based off 2020 information, and this is coming from the Institute of Justice Policy for Profit, the Abuse of Civil Asset Forfeiture. So they gave us a ranking. And you can go to this organization and look at all the states and see where they rank. South Carolina gets a D for civil forfeiture laws. And it is because of our standard of proof the government takes and the owner has to fight to prove that it's theirs and they should have it. The innocent owner burden, you have poor protection against the owners and the owner must come up with the monies to fight these individuals in court. And then the financial incentives, large profit incentives go towards those that confiscate. So we received a D there and that's not shocking. Let me give you some stories. The Greenville News talked with one sheriff who said that in February of 2019, he seized a $50,000 car, converted it to be his work vehicle, then used the forfeiture money to pay off a $20,000 loan on the car. Other agencies used iPads that they seized for deputies to use. So they are truly bankrolling off this stuff. The executive director of the South Carolina Sheriff's Association said that officers probably wouldn't pursue criminals or citizens' cash and valuables as vigorously if they didn't keep to keep the money. So think, think about that. That, think. that being able to take cars and iPads and cash <laughs> is the incentive for law enforcement to do their jobs. Listen, that is absolutely Let me nuts. put terms on it that they can recognize. That's B and E. That's breaking and entering. <laughs> it is. Now, there may be some law and order people that say, well, you know, uh, if, if you hadn't been arrested or you probably put yourself in there where there's smoke, there's fire, you know, and all that. I, yeah, fine. I, I get that. But. In almost one out of five cases of civil forfeiture, there were no arrests. There were no no charges. No crimes, no evidence of crimes, no conviction. So what about those individuals? And then asset forfeitures are also, no surprise, deeply biased. Uh, Black men represent 13% of South Carolina's population, yet 65% of those targeted for forfeiture Mm -hmm. were black men. That's why I told you I knew about this. White people were twice as likely to get their money back than black folks. Yep. So this whole thing is just upside down, and I can't believe that this is happening in the United States of America, where you could be completely innocent of any wrongdoing whatsoever, and you get your stuff taken. Everybody isn't guilty, so don't punish everybody as if they are. 
So let me close with the fact that the state Supreme Court in South Carolina rejected the challenge to this forfeiture policy. They said, no, nope, that is the responsibility of the state legislative body to correct it. Like they decided to punt. Meanwhile, the state Supreme Court's all in the business of ruling things unconstitutional or constitutional. That's their job. Yeah. But in this one, they said, nah, we're, it's not our responsibility. We're going to kick it back to the state legislators. So there is a state bill sponsored by Senator Gerald Malloy, and it is called the Asset Forfeiture and Private Property Protection Act. And you can imagine what it says. It's, mm-hmm. And Gerald Malloy's a Democrat. Mm-hmm. And this is all about providing rules and guidance for asset forfeiture and private property protection processes to put in a standard of protection for the innocent, Mm. at least until they're proven guilty. So sponsored by a Democratic senator, of course, it was filed in January of 2023, and it has gone nowhere. Yeah, Nowhere. It has been stuck in committee and hasn't been touched Mm -hmm. since January 10th, 2023. So the state Supreme Court who says that the legislators need to deal with it, well, you can guess that the Republican supermajority is not interested in dealing with it. Mm -hmm. And just because we aren't mad enough, (laughs) South Carolina House has voted to cut the unemployment benefits, reduce the amount of time that those benefits are in place to laid off workers and control how long they can collect benefits when unemployment in the state is low. So let's talk about this. On the surface, you know it could make sense. So right now there is a 20-week period in which you can receive unemployment benefits. Okay. The proposal on the table is to reduce it to 12 weeks That's right. when the unemployment rate is down below a certain level. So in times of good job opportunity, bring it down. When there's times where jobs aren't as open and available, yeah, raise the unemployment benefit date time range. My issue with this is if I am a, I don't know, I'm going to say a computer technician and all of a sudden the computer world is down, it's all gone. There's nothing in my field where I was making the money that I could make and live on. So you want me to just, because of the market looks good for all other types of jobs, you want me to come out of my field and grab another job. Is that what is that what we're saying? To me, this is a fundamental math disconnect. So, okay. So hear me out here. Okay. They're tying the benefits to the unemployment rate. They're not tying it to job availability. Yes, thank so you. So let's say, I'm going to just do a little thought experiment. Let's say that the jobless rate is 0.1%. Got it. Right? I mean, that's such a tiny, ridiculous number. Okay. Never have happened. But let's say it's that. It could also be the case that there are zero jobs available in the state. Every possible position is occupied out there. Yeah. You can have a very low jobless rate and yet not have jobs available. You're talking about a fit. I'm just going to go on pure numbers. You're going to tie these benefits to one set of numbers that has nothing to do with the actual job opportunities out in the market. Let me give you another personal inside matter because I don't know if you've had to experience this. Okay. I located to South Carolina over 10 years ago. With that, I needed to find a job. Now, I'm a highly skilled individual in the IT trade. I know I had some marketable skills. Mm -hmm. You have no idea how many submissions, how many resumes. Now, I was a chief information officer for a multi-billion dollar company. Mm -hmm. I knew I could do stuff and I had a 20-year track record. I would provide resumes and applications all over that would just go into a black hole never to be heard from again. Mm -hmm. Companies that have been hiring have gotten to the practice of ghosting applicants. So no matter what the job rates are, many times they're not actually filling the jobs. Correct. They're just putting it out there to fulfill some requirement, but they have no intention of yep. hiring. I've heard that firsthand. They've distrib- redistributed those duties. And and for the more skilled laborers, it can take more than 12 or 20 weeks yes. to find that position. Meanwhile, I had spent the past 20 years paying into unemployment benefits only to be told now that you're going to limit how long because the unemployment rate is so wonderful. Yep. Listen, There is a huge disconnect. I understand what they're doing, but again, it's going back to the point of blaming poor people for being poor. Yes. So I want to play a a clip here, actually. This, I think you'll find of somewhat of interest. There was a House debate between Representative Jay West speaking initially, followed by Representative Chris Hart. Unemployment insurance. People were maxing out at $326 a week. 
But the federal government decided, let's add $600 a week to that. So the people who were getting 326 from state uh, benefits were then getting 926, almost $4,000 a month, and really got into a mindset that maybe we just don't need to go back to work. <laughs> we'll hang on West, as long as we Mr. can. West, I, I, I see you laughing because I don't think you really believe what you're saying right now. I don't think you believe the words that are coming out of your mouth. You mean to tell me somebody making $900 a week is a lot of money? Have, have you bought any groceries lately? Have you? Yes, sir. I bought some Coke Zero on my way down here yesterday. No, some groceries. Have you bought gro Have you bought any Pampers lately? Have you bought any um, uh, Mr. Hart, that, 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 that wasn't a derogatory. You know I hadn't bought any Pampers lately. <laughs> but all seriousness, no, you don't actually believe $900 a week is a lot of money to live. Let me ask you this. In South Carolina, you tell me what rent can you pay for nine hours a week and have a decent place to stay for you and your family? For nine hours, now we rent. We ain't said nothing about taxes. I'm we sorry, ain't said Mr. nothing Hart, about. Mr. Hart, I, I take my third ten. You. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you used you used half of it up in lawyer advertising. All right, I'm glad they found themselves tickled pink laughing about that. And it was interesting. We're talking about unemployment benefits in South Carolina, and somehow they're bringing up the COVID relief. That ain't got nothing with, to do with nothing. That, had, that was just to get the nation to survive and families to survive to the pandemic. But even then, his math is adding up, and, and I totally get where they're coming from. But right now, it seems See? like there's a big push to punish those who are trying to search and aren't. And let me tell you, there are procedures in place to ensure that you are out there hunting for jobs and that you are making an attempt. Yes. And I don't want freeloaders yeah. living off of government paychecks Correct. and wasting their time. But yeah. that is not who this bill is targeted this, against. This, to me, seems as another way to put someone in that trap that we talked about when Villarba was yes. here. You know, This is a trap that I keep explaining. South Carolina will get you there and they will cut you off and you are stuck in this on this hamster wheel of trying to figure it out. The other point that I'm going to make um, that Representative Hart did, he said to West, when's the last time you have? A lot of times when they sit down in these, these closed sessions, they're having discussions about crap that they can't relate to. If you have not tried to buy groceries as a family and you a family of five, don't tell me that $900 is a lot of money. And I'm talking about every two weeks. Who You're feeding kids here. You know, we sent that money back. Don't let me miss that opportunity to say we sent that money back where we could have gotten some help for some of the kids to eat during the summertime. And now you're saying cut unemployment benefits. So who's going to feed? Who's going to care? This becomes a burden that you will shift back on the state if you do not position people on a track to where they can be self-sustainable. Representative Justin Bamberg. And you know where he represents? Bamberg. Isn't that incredible? Cool. I, you know, I want to be representative Kimmler of Kimmler County one day. <laughs> but he was quoted as saying, I want to correct this misnomer that folks who are on unemployment are just lazy bums that don't want to work. There are a lot of people who want to work, but they actually don't have the opportunity. And he talked about Bamberg County, one of the poorest counties out there. He says that a tornado swept through the area back in January, destroyed one of the town's largest employers, a barrel manufacturer called Oak to Barrel, left 40 workers unemployed. And he says if you live in a county where you have two or three times as many unemployed people as there are job openings, this system does not work for your county or your people. So I'm going to pull out on this article. It says that the state's unemployment rate was moved along by a vote of 113 to 1. So I don't get that. So here we are kind of making the argument against this bill. Yeah. And uh, what we really need to do is get the ear of some of our friends in the state house and ask, what was the intention here? Because I'll tell you this, sometimes you have to set things in perspective. Yeah, to understand the why. see... Where does your state rank among other states? Yeah. Now, I'm not saying we've got to be the best or you know we shouldn't be the worst and we don't need to be following the leader every time, but just to set the perspective. It turns out that South Carolina ranks, guess what, out of 51 states, including District of Columbia, where does South Carolina rank in terms of unemployment benefits? Availability or what? 
Yes. Availability and amount. Oh, man. We probably, we're going to be low. Let me go with 48. You are very close. We are 45th in the nation, ranked in terms of what the payout is and the duration. Yeah. So just to put things in perspective, you take the top state, Kansas. So mm-hmm. they're ranked number one. And, and they're ranked one because the cost of living index is, is very low. So it's okay. cheaper to live in Kansas. They get 26 weeks of unemployment benefits with an average of 375 per week provided by the state. South Carolina is ranked 45th mm-hmm. with a slightly higher cost of living index with only 20 weeks benefits mm-hmm. and the state producing 238 a week. And 113 to one vote said, let's drop down even further in the list and go from 20 weeks down to 12. So without knowing background information, the first thing when I saw 11, uh, 113 to one, I thought this was South Carolina's opportunity to try to regain some positioning post-COVID. Because we, of course, everybody went into the unemployment market. There was a large number of that. There wasn't enough money going into the unemployment tax at that time because, you know, you got to work to put money into it in order to have money to pay out to people. The reason why you had so many Democrats who spoke against it yet vote for it was because they recognized that this might be a way for South Carolina to regain stability on the unemployment insurance. But we had one Democrat who said no. Yeah. By the way, that ranking came from Forbes magazine. Mm. With South Carolina going from 20 to 12 upon governor's signature, Mm -hmm. first of all, the worst state in the nation is Arizona. Okay, In Arizona, because their cost of living is considerably higher, Mm -hmm. their payout, 236, which is the same as South Carolina. But get this, Arizona has at least 26 weeks worth of unemployment insurance. 26 weeks of, of payout. You drop South Carolina from 20 down to 12, 12 weeks that puts us at number 50. That's a budget issue. Something something about that money and where it needs to go or where it needs to be is why they're pushing this. Now, there is an additional topic that we considered bringing up, but for the sake of time, we're actually going to save it for our next episode. And that has to do with the constitutional carry bill that passed the House last year passed the state Senate this year. So it looks like it's on its way to become law. And in summary, this is a bill that basically says no more requirements for permits or training or safety programs or anything of the sort. It is basically you got cash, you got a gun. Yeah. But I'm going to kick it to our next episode because the story isn't quite done. No. Because the state Senate passed one version of it. Mm -hmm. The House doesn't think it's strong enough. Correct. And rejected the Senate's proposal. And the governor got in the mix of all that and yelled at them both. So now (laughs) it's basically extreme Republican versus extreme Republican again trying to figure this all out. So it hasn't quite become law. And we're going to do a deep dive on it in our next episode. All right. And that's a wrap for this episode of Black, White, and Blue in the South. We hope you enjoyed what you heard. Please take a quick minute and leave us a rating using your favorite podcast app and a review of what you heard today. If you do, Nikki Haley promises never to return to Greenwood and spread a revisionist history of her time as our governor. If you are a blue dot in a red sea, keep the faith, keep up the hard work. Change only happens over many years of work and dedication. And we hope to see you at South Bend Winery on Friday, February 16th. Thank you. I'm whipping out my calendar. (laughs) Good tag team there, Dr. Brooks. Thank you so much. We look forward to seeing you there at 5 p.m. And if not, then there will be many more opportunities to do so. Yeah. The end. The preceding podcast is a product of Big Media and copyright 2024, all rights reserved.